Last week, we uh, had an opportunity to just talk a little bit about the, the vision that we have to impact 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus. And lots of cool cards came in. Um, uh, our total now, we're getting close to the end of the second year of those five years, and we're about uh, between 21 and 22,000, which is uh, cool. Um, that's not about us. Uh, the, the best thing I could tell you about impacting people with the grace of Jesus is a story that I heard about someone who said last week, I can't wait to put my card in the bucket uh, today because in looking at that, I'm able to stop and think about what God is doing. It's because it's not about me. It's about what God is doing, but how he's using me. That's what, that's what impacting 50,000 people with the grace of Jesus is all about. So that's a cool thing. Um, and, and just kind of wanted to let you know, uh, what was going on. The other thing is we've, I've talked about the vision that we have, the, the calling that we have as a leadership to come alongside churches who are struggling, um, who, uh, maybe who are at the end of their life. We're not sure exactly what that looks like. Um, we had an expression of that on kind of the opposite end this week. Jake came in my office. Uh, Jake Howard is our family life minister. And, he, and I said, what's up? And he said, oh, I've been on the phone for a couple of hours. I said, what's going on? And he said, um, curriculum that we have used already with our children's and student ministry, we have channeled to a church that's a, a relatively new church, just a few years old. And I, I've just spent the, uh, a whole bunch of time on the phone with them, helping them figure out how to make it work in their context. I think that that's really cool. You may think that that's just normal. Um, even in churches, sometimes stuff can be territorial. And, and um, we want to have a kingdom view. We want to hold everything that we have with an open hand. And so uh, Jake being able to help this church that's not even in our area use curriculum so that kids can learn about Jesus, that's what it's all about. And so uh, cool stuff. God's, God's doing great work. Um, we're in this series called Gospel Fluency, and we're, we're one week away from the end. I want to just take some time this morning to do an overview and to, um, maybe you've missed some of the messages. Maybe, uh, you've, uh, maybe you're here for the first time and, uh, this Gospel Fluency thing is a, is a new deal. Let me just talk for a second about where we've been over the last eight or nine weeks. Um, uh, with the, the whole concept between gospel fluency is that we need to be so adept at talking about the gospel that it's just a normal part of our everyday life, our language, the way that we think, the way that we do everything. And one of the foundational um, premises that we came in with is that we're all unbelievers in some area of our life. Um, it may be that you're here and you've got questions about Jesus and you're just trying to figure it out. And that's, you're in a safe place to ask those questions. But it may be that you're, you've been a follower of Jesus for a few months or a few years or a whole lot of years. And I, I just want to challenge you and encourage you, recognize that we're all unbelievers in some way. There are areas of our life that we grab hold of and we hold on to and we don't allow the gospel. We don't allow Jesus to come in and work in those areas. And, and, and so we're not, when we do that, we're not really believing that God is who he said he is. Um, in those areas. And so that, that's the challenge that, that's there for us. We want to speak the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. Speaking the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. That means that Jesus is in the nooks and crannies of what happens at work, at what happens at home, what happens in our neighborhood, what happens on the soccer field, every plan, what happens when we drive, um, that Jesus is there doing his work, speaking the truth of the gospel into the everyday stuff of life. It, in order to be able to do that, we have to recognize what the gospel is. 
that the gospel is the story of Jesus meeting every need in our lives. That when Jesus came to earth and that he willingly gave himself to die for us, that it impacts every aspect of our life, every issue that there's hope in Jesus in every struggle that we have, no matter what's going on in your life. The gospel means that Jesus is alive and doing his work. The gospel in us, um, the, the gospel living in us gets lived out because there's a spiritual battle that's going on. Um, we may not see it. It may, mean, may not be something that we can touch and feel. But there is this battle, scripture tells us, between good and evil, between Satan and God, between angels and demons, over our heart and soul and destiny. That battle is going on. So we've got to do like Paul tells the church in Corinth, we've got to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Um, That battle's going on. And, And the gospel in us allows Jesus to have absolute control of every piece of that in our life. Um, God is the only way that, that we can straighten out the mess that's in us. Um, as the, the, uh, in, in, the, in the midst of that, um, there was an exercise that I think, for me, the, one of the biggest things in the series has been the fruit-to-root thing that Chris taught about. Uh, the, the opportunity to recognize what's going on in our life and say, what's that tell me? And my, my reaction, what's it tell me about who God is? And uh, then to just kind of process that together to say, man, I've, I've got to see things from God's perspectives and that will change the way I act. That's the gospel in me. Um, the, we, we've talked as well about the gospel uh, with us, that the, that, the gospel is, um, that the gospel is there doing its work. I don't know about you, but in our life group, we struggled with this idea of Jesus, Jesus the better, that Jesus is the better version of everything. We had lots of conversation about that. And I wanted to just try and touch base on that because there have been a lot of conversations that, we've, that I've heard about that people, that that's been a difficult thing. Let me, let me just say it this way. When we get frustrated with our boss or our spouse or our kid or our computer or our car, or our football team, um, it's because it's because we want the, that boss or spouse or kid or car or computer or football team to fill a need in us that only Jesus can. Our significant other can't give us can't give value to us for our lives. Only Jesus can. Our stuff can't fill that need that we have to have substantive lives. Only Jesus can. That's why Jesus is the better version of the car, of the computer, of the spouse, of the kid, of of all that stuff. Jesus is the only one that can fill those needs that are deep within us. That's why he's the better. Um, Jesus demonstrated that by taking control of the most holy day for Jews, the the Passover, and saying, this is my body, this is my blood, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Jesus is the better version. He's He's the hero of every story. He's the hero of the story. Um, uh, in, in the book, if, uh, in the Gospel Fluency book, in the workbook, uh, uh, Vanderstelt 
references a friend that says, no matter what the question is, Jesus is the answer. No matter what the question is, Jesus is the answer. And it reminded me of a story I heard a long time ago about a Sunday school teacher that was, that was teaching um, boys and girls that were early elementary age. And, and she's teaching about creation, and she's trying to involve the kids in the, in the lesson. And she says, okay, boys and girls, I've got a question for you. What's gray has a big bushy tail and eats nuts. And, and the, there was silence. There was no response at all. She said, no, come on, boys and girls, you know this. What's gray has a bushy tail and eats nuts? Nobody responds. She said, boys and girls, what's gray has a bushy tail and eats nuts? And finally, one boy raised his hand and he said, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Um, Jesus is the answer to the questions, not about stuff, but about the the substantive stuff in our life. Jesus is the one who can fill that void, who can meet that need. Today we're talking about being gospel fluent and the gospel working through us and going to others. The gospel to others. It's not to just, our, our role is to not just recognize the gospel in us in this fluency process. Being able to speak and think and see the gospel everywhere. It's to be able to share it with others. To be able to communicate to the others as well. And that starts with a genuine love for other people. Um, this, is, this is so critical for us to understand because, frankly, it's not easy for us to love the people around us. Sometimes it's not easy for us to love the people closest to us. Certainly not the easiest to love people who are different for us. But sharing starts with caring. And Jesus epitomized that. Jesus lived that out in an incredible way. Jesus cared about people. You know, when you think about sharing what God is doing in your life with other people, it begs the question, it asks, how is it that you see other people? Do you see people who don't know Jesus? Do you see people on the fringes of your life as a project? Oh, yeah, that's the person that I, want to, that I want to win to Jesus. Do you see him as a project? Do you see him as, as, um, as maybe a notch that you can put in your belt that, to have leverage with God that, you know, that would think, oh, wow, I won, I won 10 people to Jesus, and that'll give me a better place of standing with God? Do, do we see sharing our faith simply as an act of obedience that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and so I've got to do that. It's a have-to kind of thing. Or do we see people in their area of need and have compassion on them? Jesus, um, the, the cool thing about Scripture is that every encounter that Jesus had with people was different. Jesus didn't have a rote set that he went through as he interacted with people. The way that Jesus dealt with Nicodemus and his questions was very different than the way that Jesus dealt with the woman at the well, even though they're only one chapter apart. The way that Jesus dealt with Zacchaeus was radically different than the the way that Jesus dealt with the woman caught in adultery and radically different than the way that he dealt with his disciples, the, the guys that he called to follow him. We've got to have this, this uh, a heart for people where they are. That's got to be where it starts. Um, in, in Mark 10, this, uh, 
this guy comes to Jesus, uh, and, and he's wealthy, and he's young, and he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And, and uh, Jesus says, uh, you tell me. And he says, uh, keep the commandments. And, um, and, and then the guy says, you know what, I've kept those ever since I was a little boy. And in Mark 10, verse 21, it says this, Jesus looked at him, and these are the words that I think are incredible, and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus' concern for this guy was not about his stuff at all. His concern was for him, for the man, for his heart, for his soul, for his life. In Luke 10, um, a religious leader comes to Jesus and asks him a question. He says to him, uh, what do I have to do to to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, what's the law say? You're a religious guy. You know the scripture. What's it say? And the guy answered and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you know what? That's absolutely right. Do this and you will live. But this religious leader, wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell a story about this guy who travels between two cities. And in the midst of his travel, he gets mugged, gets beat up. He, um, he actually is, is uh, nearly killed. All of his possessions are stolen. He's uh, naked. He's there on the side of the road. And he tells a story about the uh, religious people that just walk by, see him, on, uh, see him hurting, see him in need. And they just walk by. But there's this guy from a different culture, a different value system, a different worldview, a guy that the religious leaders would despise that saw this guy in need and said, you know what, I'm going to take care of him. And he picked, it up, picked him up, carried him, uh, took him to a place where, where he could be restored and, and brought back to health. Who is it that we're called to love with the love of Jesus? To share the gospel. Who's the gospel to go to? Like the Good Samaritan, it's with people who look differently, who act differently, who have different values, who have a different agenda, who come from a different culture than we do. We're not to share the gospel just with people who look like us, who act like us, who share our values. We are called to bring the gospel to the Muslim, to the rich executive, to the gay guy, to the convenience store cashier, to the trans teen, to the soccer mom. We're to have love for those people, for who God made them, and to share the gospel. In order to do that, the gospel to others has to begin with a relationship. It depends on a relationship. We have to know who people are. We've to share the gospel, otherwise the gospel doesn't make any sense. Jesus didn't have a one-size-fits-all approach to evangelism. Every encounter he had with people was different. He had the advantage that he supernaturally knew people's stories, that he supernaturally knew what was going on in their heads and their hearts. We don't have that. So in order to be able to learn their story, we've got to do some things. We've got to pray. We've got to look for responsiveness. And we've got to invest in a relationship with those people at whatever level that is. 
In Luke chapter 10, there's, a, there's kind of an interesting uh, description of an encounter that Jesus had with 72 of his disciples where he sends them out. I want to read that, and then I want to just um, draw some parallels because uh, when you read it, you'll think, what's that about? It, it doesn't uh, contextualize for us very well, but I want to I bring some pieces together for that. This is Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them uh, two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He wasn't talking about an agricultural harvest. He was talking about people in need, people that needed God. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you stay at a house, though, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a house and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick that are there. And tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even if the dust of your town, uh, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. You read that and you think, wait, 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 wait. How's, that, how's that make sense in terms of our culture? Uh, you know, most of us don't even wear sandals, right? It's Michigan. Uh, you don't do that. Um, what's that look like for us? The first thing Jesus said is, there's a harvest out there. And, and the, the, the foundational thing is to understand that God calls you, he sends you out into the harvest to share the gospel, to reap that harvest. We're called by God to do that. Um, and, and the way that we start is that we look for people who are responsive. In, in the whole peace section of that, it said, extend peace to the home, and if, if uh, they say peace to be you, stay there, pour in. Look for people who are responsive, who are open to having a relationship with you, and then pursue that relationship. That, uh, you know, you're out somewhere, and you, and you just make kind of a side comment, and somebody responds back, Man, ask yourself, is, does God want to do something here? And, and just pick up that conversation and see where it goes. If people respond to you, respond back and begin to deepen that relationship. Um, if, if they want to share time or things or food with you, do it. The, the, the most common thing, I think, in our culture is to say, you know, if, if you're going to your kids' games... Um, soccer, soccer games, whatever. And there are people there at the soccer game that you start to have conversations with and, and you just kind of build this relationship. And they say, hey, you want to go to, to McDonald's or Burger King and get a bite after the game? Man, don't say no. Say absolutely. Because that's that extension of peace that's coming back to you. Realize that that's an opening to build that relationship for the gospel to go forward. And then pray for their needs. As, as people begin to open up and you begin to develop a relationship with people, um, as that relationship goes deeper, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Everybody has struggles that they go through. And there's going to be a conversation about, about something that's going on at work or something that's going on at home or something that's going on in their, their extended family or something that's going on in their neighborhood that's driving them crazy. Maybe their car breaks down, whatever it is. And all you have to do is say, you know what, could I pray for you about that? And if they're struggling, it doesn't matter where they are. They'll probably say, 
well, yeah, if you want to, or they, or they might say, man, could you, that, that, would, that would mean a lot. If they say yes, say, is it okay if I pray for you right now? And then it doesn't have to be a long flowery prayer, nothing. Just say, God, you know what? Bob's struggling at work. Would you, would you take care of that problem for him? Would you give him strength? Would you give him wisdom? In Jesus' name, amen. That's all, that's all you got to do to pray. And that will open this door because it's not going to be very long before Bob comes back and says, you know what? That problem at work is gone. That guy who was the thorn in my side, he got fired. And you're able to say, huh, we prayed about that, didn't we? Um, and, and it's going to create this opportunity for a deepened relationship. You know, and the other thing that Jesus says to his disciples, you know what, if people aren't responsive, um, just let them go. Pour into the people who say yes, who want to have that relationship. And don't just flip from place to place. Jesus says, don't go from house to house to house to house. Pour into the people that God gives you the ability to have a relationship with. The gospel going to others, building that relationship, means that we have to listen. We have to listen. Jesus began his relationships with every person by listening to their agenda, finding out where they were, not just coming in with, with, uh, with, uh, with his with both barrels loaded and ready, and ready to go. Jesus let people share where they were. He was a master at drawing out the heart, asking questions so that, so that people could express what was going on. You know, most of the time when we're sharing with somebody about the gospel, when we're talking about what God is doing in our life, we listen to what they say with about 20% of our ears. Because our minds are going, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? What am I going to say? Oh, I'm supposed to say this and this and this and this. Stop that. Okay? Stop that. Listen to what they say. Listen to their story. And trust the Holy Spirit to guide the conversation. We have to listen to others. Um, Every person that we encounter is hungry for God. They may not recognize it. But God put this hole in our hearts that only God can fill. And every person wants that hole to be filled. But it can only be filled by God. Every person that we talk to has a story. And their story is what we've talked about in Gospel Fluency. They have a story of creation, of their identity, who they are. And they have a story about their fall, about their brokenness. Their identity is not matching reality and life's falling apart. They, their story includes this desperate need for a redeemer, for someone to come in and fix the stuff that's going on in their life, to bring them hope, to bring them change. And every person, every person we talk to has a desire for their life to be transformed. All of us, all of us have this deep longing to live a life that's full and fulfilling and filled with hope. And peace and joy. Only Jesus can do that. And we've, we've got to listen where they are before we can allow the gospel to go to them in that way. Um, you know, when you find yourself in a conversation like that, pray. Not like I was talking about before. Like you don't stop somebody telling their story. And let me pray. Um, pray. Just pray as you're listening. God, help me to hear what's going on in their heart. Start with a posture of humility. Start as a learner. 
not, not as the, the person who has all the answers. Um, I, I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. When somebody talks to me about the struggles that they're having in, in their lives, you know what I want to do? I want to fix them. Um, it's a problem at home sometimes. Uh, I, nobody else's homes, right? No. Somebody's struggling, you just want to fix them. And in reality, what we've got to do is listen. Listen. Hear their story. Start with a posture of humility. Um, and, and don't assume that you know exactly what they're feeling or that you know all the details. And so much of the time we get, into, we get into trouble because we assume that we understand everybody else's story. Um, have you ever seen the, the musical Fiddler on the Roof? It's one of my favorites. It's going to be at Wharton in just a few weeks. It's this story about tradition and family and progress and the tension that exists between all of that. Um, the main character is a guy named Tevya. Um, he's a milkman. He's got five daughters, uh, and the, the older ones are, are getting to marrying age. Uh, Tevye doesn't have a lot, but he's got these five daughters. And in the, in the story, uh, one of the, the guys in the town, a, a butcher named Laser Wolf, uh, t- tells Tevye he wants to have a conversation. And Tevye is absolutely sure that he knows what, what Laser Wolf is talking about. However, Laser Wolf is talking about something different than Tevye. Take a look on screen and watch it play out. Tevye. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you know why I wanted to see you. Oh, yes, I do, but uh, there is no use talking about it. Uh, Tevye, I understand how you feel, but uh, after all, you have a few more without her. Uh-huh. I see. Today you want one, tomorrow you may want two. Two? Well, what would I do with two? The same as you do with one. Uh, Tell you. (laughs) This is very important to me. Why is it so important to you? Frankly, because I'm lonely. Lonely? Mm-hmm. A blazer. What are you talking about? How can a little cow keep you company? Little cow? Is that what you call her? What else should I call her? That's what she is. Replacer, what are you talking about? Don't you know? Of course I know. We are talking about my new milk cow, the one you want to buy from me. Milk <laughs> cow? <laughs> I milk cow, so I won't be lonely. <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking about your daughter. Laser Wolf wants to marry his oldest daughter. Uh, you know, that, that clip, that part in the story is, is uh, incredibly funny. Our conversations with people who don't know Jesus sometimes are not funny. They're hurtful because we assume we know and understand what someone else thinks and feels. We've got to ask them questions 
so that they can express that, so that the gospel can come into their point of need, what, not what we perceive is their point of need. We've got to focus on their agenda. We've, we've got to not come into a conversation about the gospel with the script that we have in hand, where we think, oh, I've got to, I've got to use the Roman road. I've got to use the, uh, the evangelism explosion stuff. I've got to use the stuff that, that, that the pastor gave me, these five things that I have to make sure that we talk about. That's our script. We've got to allow the gospel to do its work where people are at their level, in that, their place in the story. We've got to talk less and listen more. We've got to ask questions over and over again. Uh, I've, I've got a, I, uh, the slide behind me is going to say that I've got a homework assignment for you, um, but here's what I want to do right now, just really quickly. Would you take a, a copy of the Bible out of the back of the pew in front of you and turn to Mark chapter 8? Mark chapter 8. And I want you to see something about how important questions were to Jesus. Uh, when somebody gets to Mark chapter 8, tell me what page that is. 843, turn to page 843, Mark chapter 8. And what I want you to do is just scan the 8th chapter of the book of Mark and look at how many questions Jesus asks. Now you're going to be counting them up, which is okay, but I want you to do that this afternoon. Just, just look down through there and see how many question marks are there. Jesus used questions over and over and over again to expose what was in people's hearts, to teach lessons, to look for more information. Questions like, you know what, how, many, how, how much food is there? To remind them of how God had worked in the past. Hey, when, when we fed 5,000, when I fed 5,000 people, how many baskets were left over? To teach, what, what's the scripture say? He asked questions over and over and over again. Let me just say this. What's, what's, what is your motivation for having a conversation with someone? It goes back to the very beginning. Whether we truly love people or whether we're trying to win something. Um, a conversation with someone who is trying to get to know somebody looks very different than a conversation with someone who's trying to persuade someone to do something. Hear that again. A conversation with someone that you're trying to get to know looks radically different than a conversation with someone that you're trying to persuade to do something. When, when a, a guy and a gal get together and they start to date and they have one of, those, one of those dates early in their relationship that goes till like two or three in the morning because they just keep talking and talking and talking and it seems like it only was you know, 15 minutes that they're together. What, what happens in that conversation? There's, they're telling their story. They're asking questions, clarifying stuff. They're learning their values. They're laughing about stuff. They're, they, they may even be crying about stuff that's painful to them because they're, they care about the other person and learning who they are. That's very different than a conversation where you're trying to persuade someone to do something. When I first graduated from college, I didn't plan on doing ministry, and I sold wood-burning stoves for a year direct sales, so I was in people's homes. And, and in my training, my sales training, um, they, they talked about how to have a conversation with people to continually ask questions to get them to say yes so that when you got to the end, when you got to the close, they would have said yes so many times that, that, that their natural response is say, oh yeah, sure, I want a stove. 
Anybody ever dealt with a salesman like that? That you find yourself saying, yes, 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 yes. No, I don't want to buy that. That's hard after you've said yes. They're trying to persuade you to do something that you're not ready to do. A great salesman, a great lover of people will let their story drive the conversation. It will, it, you care about who they are, not about what they can do for you. The gospel to go to others has to be shared on their terms, to their needs, not solely how the gospel impacted us. It's important to be able to share our story, but how the gospel moved in our lives is not necessarily the way the gospel will move in this person that you're talking to's life. The gospel is relevant and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take root in their lives, in their story, not in your story. How, what kind of questions do you ask? There, there are all kinds of questions. Questions that, that um, ask more information. Questions that ask to help clarify the story. Questions that, that maybe ask what other people think about the stuff that's going on in their life. To just get them to share. Questions that explore maybe a different kind of a view of, of what they're going through. Questions that encourage. Questions the challenge, the important thing is to, is to love people and to let them tell their story so that the gospel can come in. The goal is not to win an argument or to beat a person into submission. The goal is to share good news for somebody at their deepest level of hurt. Questions de- depend on some amount of tact. Tact is the intuitive knowledge of saying the right thing at the right time. Sir Isaac Newton said, tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. I like that. The ability to make a point without making an enemy. Sometimes when we ask questions, uh, there are things that cut us off at, the, at, at our knees. We lose credibility with the person that we're talking to. Let me, let me give you three of those credibility killers. One is assuming that we know what the other person is thinking or feeling. Just say, oh, yeah, 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 I get that. I, oh, I get that and not letting them tell their story. A second is that um, we act like we're listening when we're really planning what we're going to say next. It's so easy to do, and it cuts our credibility completely. Uh, the, the third thing is to provide a solution before they've really expressed their need. We, we, we come with this solution when they don't even recognize that that's where they are yet. Last thing that's just critical for us as we think about the gospel to others is that that happens out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. It happens out of our experience with the gospel naturally. Why is it um, that that we want to share Jesus? Is it that we want to score points with God? Oh, you know what? If I, if, if I can share the gospel, uh, God's going to love me more. Is it to may, obey a command? That's maybe better than the first one, but that's still not, not really what it's about. Is it because we have um, a concern for the other person's eternal destiny? That's a great reason. But I think the best reason to share the gospel is because it's the most natural thing in the world to talk about what God is doing in our lives right now the transformation that he is doing in us, that it just overflows naturally. When any container is filled to capacity and more stuff goes in, after it's filled to capacity, what's going to happen? It's going to overflow. It's going to spill out. 
You take a bucket, you fill it with water, and you keep filling it with water, the water's going to overflow. When, when God is working in us, when we see his gospel in us on a daily basis, and we see him working over and over and over again, the most natural thing in the world is for that to overflow, to spill out to others, to the conversations that we have. I just, I want to encourage you to listen and learn and let the gospel go to others in the way that only God can make it happen. Jesus asks questions for all kinds of reasons. He asks questions to make people think. He asks uh, questions to help people remember what God had done in the past. He asks questions to help people consider their future. He asks people questions to clarify what it was that they valued. He asks questions to help them declare a future path in their life. I want to finish today by, by just sharing 10 questions that Jesus asked. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just shut your eyes. And I don't want you to hear Rick. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus. The gospel might be in us. Jesus asked, Do you want to get well? Do you believe? Why are you so afraid? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Do you still not understand? What do the scriptures say? Why, why did you doubt? Are you also going to leave? Who do you say I am? Do you love me?